You know, if you've ever been asked to do something that you weren't gifted to do, or asked to carry out a task for which you did not possess uh, the right resources to carry out the task, um, it almost certainly um, ended with poor results, and most certainly feelings of um, fear, uh, perhaps anxiety, and stress. On the other hand, if you have a desire to do something something in company with ability, the results oftentimes will be very beautiful, very uh, pleasurable, and instead of feelings of stress, there'll be a certain sense of satisfaction. Instead of feelings of frustration and fear, um, probably feelings of fulfillment. Because you're properly gifted to carry out a task that you were able to do. Beautiful results. People who make use of their artistic talents, let's say, benefit others. Right? I, I think we all love art. And art is a very Christian thing, by the way. But when we look in an artist's finished product, we benefit. I don't care if it's music, a painting, a sculpture, uh, whatever it may be, we, we're the ones who, who benefit. Well, when, when you or anyone else for that matter, believer or not, uses gifts of organization, certain skills to lead and whatnot, other people benefit. Blessed. When we use our gifts given to us by God, they serve as a blessing that overflow to others whether you realize it immediately or not. Now, granted, some people desire to do something they're not gifted to do. There's always the person in the choir that wants to sing the solo, who has no gift to sing a solo. Someone has to love them enough to tell them that they sound like a cat in a trap. (laughs) Not cat in a hat, cat in a trap. You have to be honest enough. Uh, There's those who are young men. They want to preach the gospel. They love the Lord Jesus. They want to preach his word. Um, They're not really gifted to teach. And unfortunately, some pastor will tell this young man, oh, you have to go now to seminary and be trained in the ministry. He goes through, he gets into ministry, and it's the most frustrating time of his life. And he goes back to computer programming, which is the perfect place to be for the glory of God if that's how you're gifted. The last thing he needs to do is be in the ministry. Now, just as it is unwise or unkind to ask people to do that which they're not gifted to do um, outside of the opportunity perhaps to help them learn or to help them grow, it would be cruel and unkind for God to ask his people to carry out a task for which he has not gifted them to perform. Fair enough? Scripture tells us that God is the giver of all good gifts. All good gifts come down from the Father above, 
And whatever he demands of his people throughout history, whatever the Lord demands of his people, he provides the ability for them to obey and carry out that which he demands. Just have to read the Bible to see it. God has here given Moses blueprints for the tabernacle. But Moses isn't going to build it. He is Israel's shepherd leader. That's where his gifts lie. He is a leader. He's leading Israel. He's leading this mass group of people. And he has to put up with all their whining and complaining along the way. But that's what he's called to do. He's not called to be a builder. He's not called to do everything God commands Israel to do. Instead, God raises up here Bezalel, and he provides Bezalel an assistant, Aholiab, who are the main artisans of this project. Now remember, Moses has been up on the mountain alone with God since chapter 24, verse 18. He's been up there a long time. And chapters 25 to 31 of Exodus record for us God's command about the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a mobile tent. And in the midst of the wilderness, the tabernacle will house the place of God's presence, the place of God's law, and the place of worship unto him as he meets with his people as they travel throughout the wilderness, the tabernacle. Now remember, the Lord, by way of the tabernacle, is reestablishing holy ground on earth with sinners. The original holy ground where God met with people was the Garden of Eden. The first temple tabernacle was Eden. God dwelling with his people. Our first parents evacuated that garden temple as per God's command because of sin. Sin separates man from God and God from men. Man's sin nature, your sin nature, my sin nature is inherited. You were born with inborn depravity. You are a sinner. We are sinners. Every human being following Adam is a sinner. Sin is pervasive. Sin causes separation of us from our creator. So the the tabernacle and then later the temple reveal for us the beginnings of restoration. What we're reading about and what we've been studying is the beginnings of restoration. Restoration, that is, God dwelling with his people. And of course, that's ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and what? Tabernacled, thank you, among us. John 1.14, Jesus came and dwelt among us. Literally, he came and he pinched a tent of flesh on a fallen, cursed earth. The perfect one, the Son of God. Now, as I've noted on a number of occasions in our studies thus far, there's more written about the tabernacle here in the book of Exodus than there is about any other singular subject in all of Scripture, with the exception, of course, 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole book points. Because the, the tabernacle is a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation by him. And all that he accomplishes for us. The deliverance of our souls from sin, death, and eternal separation from God, which is hell. Delivered. We are Christ church. We are the called out ones. He calls sinners to himself from out of the world. To live in the world, but not to be of the world. Now, the image given to the New Testament church is that of a tabernacle. It's a temple. We are the temple of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2.21, You are being joined together into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Paul writes the church at Corinth, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Did you know that? You are the temple of the living God. Together, as parts, we make up the body of Christ. We make up the temple of the living God. He calls us to himself. He's building that temple. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are chosen, you are precious, you are like living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. He indwells each member of his body. He provides each member of his body with spiritual gifts. Look at Ephesians 4.4. 4. There is one body, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Gifts. These gifts, okay, although they vary, Not everyone's a theologian. Not everyone's an elder, deacon, or whatnot. Although the gifts vary, they are of equal dignity when properly used. The gifts of service. To work behind the scenes. Those gifts are of equal dignity to anyone who stands behind a pulpit. And preaches the word of God. No Christian is without some gift. No Christian is without some gift of ministry. And every believer, beloved, is responsible as we read the scriptures to recognize that gift, develop that gift, and fully use whatever capacities for service God has sovereignly distributed to each one of us individually. To benefit what? The body. He has, in fact, gifted each one of us so that we might contribute in some way as he builds his new covenant church 
And we see an example of this under the Old Covenant right here in chapter 31 of Exodus. So here then we come to the final instructions of God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai regarding this tabernacle and its worship. The tabernacle and its worship. And everybody else is down on the plain waiting for him to come back. And we'll see next week what they're up to while they're waiting. (laughs) Okay? So we see here, God is not satisfied with simply saying how the tabernacle shall be built. But he's concerned that the right chosen craftsmen for the job will be appointed to the task. Bezalel. Notice God's in control of the entire operation here. The Lord is sovereign. He is the tabernacle source. He is its designer. He is its chief architect. And he will call and choose the construction managers, the construction team, the craftsmen who will bring about the execution of the building project. Tabernacle. So a few observations for our consideration this morning, beloved. And the first is something about God's calling of us. God's calling of us. We learn something here about vocation. God's calling us into service. He calls us. He calls us out of the world. He calls us into the body and into service for his glory. We learn something here about equipping for service. We're told explicitly here that God equips these men with wisdom and skill. Wisdom and skill. And of course, we learn something about the presence of God. God is with his people. He calls his people. He equips his people. And he enables his people to carry out what he calls them to do. So this is what we'll look at this morning. So let's look at the account. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Notice, to do so, he's filled with the Spirit. You know that phrase, Spirit of God, the first time it's used in the Bible? Creation. The creation account. And what we see here, beloved, are our verbal and thematic connections here in, in the construction of the tabernacle that parallel the creation account. In Genesis 1, verse 2, the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and that was before he began his creative activity. Speaking! And there it was. So God's creative power at creation okay, is present there in Genesis 1 and is likewise present in the building of this, the tabernacle. Now remember that the tabernacle is a little mini-universe. That's what it is. Created by God to remind us of something greater and and something much larger than just the tabernacle itself. Because when we get to the book of Hebrews, what what do we read about all the furnishings within the tabernacle? We read that they are copies of heavenly realities. 
This is pointing forward. This, this is propelling us forward to what God ultimately has prepared, and that is a new heaven and a new earth. So the construction of the tabernacle, again, these are the beginnings of a restoration project that is God dwelling with his people on earth, ultimately fulfilled in a new heaven and new earth. Notice Exodus 31 ends on a note of harmony and Sabbath rest. You look at verse 17, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So this is like Genesis 2 revisited. After God finished his work of creation, he said, it is good. And what did he do? He rested. He rested. So here we have a paradise theme. We see connections here between creation and the tabernacle as God's presence orders and oversees this created order of the tabernacle. Notice verse 2, I have called by name, Bezalel. Okay, I have called, it indicates a distinct act of the divine will. God called you, Christian, to himself. He called you by name. He knows your name. He calls you by name. The Spirit of God invaded your life. The Spirit of God removed that heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He called you. So here he, he calls to himself, Bezalel. God himself, in other words, is making the choice. Amen? God makes the choice. Um, and, and this is for a particular purpose as regards this craftsman, Bezalel. And we're told in verse 3, notice, I have filled him with the Spirit of God which again indicates that that God himself is the source. He is the wisdom, and he provides the wisdom and the skill necessary to carry out the task. God is wisdom, beloved. Now, filled with the Spirit, beloved. Filled with the Spirit does not mean he had some emotional, irrational, out-of-his-mind experience. Okay, like falling down in the aisle falling backward, saying I've been slain in the spirit, or nonsense like that. None of that happens here. He doesn't have some unintelligible babble coming out of his mouth. So if you notice here, when we analyze what's being said as regards this man being filled with the spirit, it's just the opposite of being absurdly out of control. Notice. Instead, this man, he has a systematic mind. Notice, a systematic mind of, notice, ability, intelligence, knowledge, and all craftsmanship, filled with the Spirit of God. So here's a creature, a man, made imago Dei, right? A a man made in the image of God. You're created in the image of God, who creates from resources. That's what artists do. They create but we can only create out of resources that the ultimate creator created out of nothing. You don't create something out of nothing. Bezalel will create something out of what God called into existence. He's an image bearer of God. Now, I want you to notice a parallel between the wisdom of God in creation and the wisdom um, given to Bezalel here in the instructions given for the tabernacle. Notice in Proverbs 3. 
verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep broke open. The clouds dropped down the dew or torrential rain on, on Tuesday. Amen? Notice Exodus 31.3. I filled him with the Spirit of God. Ability, intelligence, that's understanding. With knowledge and all craftsmanship. So what did God do with this Bezalel? You know what he did? He simply upped the ante of the skills he already possessed. The Spirit sanctified his ability. The Spirit sanctified his intelligence and his knowledge. He didn't wave a magic wand over Bezalel's head and all of a sudden gave him gifts to do what he had never done in the past. That would be like the Lord waving a wand over my head today, saying, "Um, you're going to play in the Super Bowl this year and win, Mr. 51-year-old. No. He refocused, he refurbished, he redirected skills that already existed in a man, and guess where he learned those skills and honed those skills? Egypt. Egypt. Sometimes God may do something supernatural in and through an individual. Amen? Sometimes he may do that and exhibit his power through a man um, who, who, where God moves totally beyond the gifts of the man. Sometimes. But more often, I should say most often, he perfects and sanctifies existing gifts that God has already placed in the man or the woman. Are you with me? So, Bezalel. Here's a man. Notice, his name means in the shadow of God. That is under the protection of God. And one of the things that the tabernacle symbolizes is the protection of God. Right? As we've said in in, in this account, God is reestablishing worship and, and dwelling with his people on a fallen earth on a cursed earth with fallen people. And that's a great blessing, but at the same time, it's very what? It's very dangerous. That's why God sets up a priesthood and a sacrificial system. For to step in the presence of a holy God, you'll be consumed unless you have a mediator. Moses serves as a mediator. The priest, obviously, will serve as a mediator between God and the people. So God protects them as he he orders this tabernacle. Now, notice um, he is the son of Uri, the son of Hur. Now, Hur, as you remember, had a very unique ministry traveling with Moses through the wilderness. You remember back in chapter 17 in the war with the Amalekites and Moses stands up on the rock up on the mountain. He holds up his staff and as long as his arms are up and he's interceding for Israel, they, they move victoriously. But as soon as his arms fall, what happens? They're overtaken. So Joshua comes and her come and they, and they help hold up his arms. A very unique ministry for his granddaddy, her. Now, had you said to Bezalel, you know, Bezalel, if you really want to serve the Lord, if you really love the Lord, then you're going to have to serve him like your granddaddy served him. Right? 
You know, we often make the mistake of thinking that the only way those who love the Lord can serve the Lord and and offer up full-time service to the Lord is that you have to enter into full-time vocational ministry to become a pastor or a theology professor. So you get all this training, you become a theology professor or become a missionary. That is contrary to Scripture. You do not find that kind of thinking in the Bible, New Testament or Old. Not at all. The last thing you want to do is go into the missionary field if you're not called and gifted by God to be a missionary. That's the last thing you want to do. Don't go into the pastorate, men, if you're not called to the pastorate. It'll consume you. It'll frustrate you. You want to kill people if you're not called to the ministry. If you're called to it, you'll love them in spite of it. You know, it always perturbed me. You know, my aunt and uncle were missionaries. After World War II, they went to the Philippines. And they were in the bush. They lived in a hut. And they did that for a long period of time. I I don't even think they had furlough back to the uh, United States when they were over there. Ten years in the bush, and then eventually my uncle... Uh, participated in starting up a seminary and a college over there in Manila. And then they moved back to the States. You know, sometimes what perturbs me is when a missionary comes back here and they try to compel people or even perhaps guilt people into coming over and serving in their missionary field that they're called to be in. As a matter of fact, why are you spending so much time here when you should be there? Now, it's one thing to ask to give, and they should do that, and we should provide for that. But if you're not called to the missionary field, you don't want to be guilted into it. You don't want to be compelled into it. It needs to be a call from God, and you are uniquely gifted and have a passion and a desire to go there and to do that. Amen? Bezalel was called, notice, to devise designs, to forge to shape, to cut, to carve, and he was given wisdom to think skillfully. Notice, he's given understanding. There's ability and intelligence. Understanding. That is to have a great insight or expertise in a particular area. He's given knowledge. That is to analyze. He's able to analyze and, and develop understanding in a particular field. You have this in whatever you do professionally, whatever that is. Craftsmanship, okay, that is a very specific work of service is where you're making or creating something. This is what he's given. He's not like her, H-U-R, her, his grandfather, amen? He's not like granddaddy, her. So it would have been wrong for anyone to, to compel him to try to be like his grandpappy. It would have been wrong for someone to say, if you really want to serve the Lord, John Leader, you're going to have to be like your Uncle Leo, who went to the Philippines and lived in the bush. You want to go live in the bush? You should go live in the bush. I don't want to live in the bush. I have no desire to live in the bush. I have no gifting to be in the bush. I'm called to preach. At a church that I wanted nothing to do when I first was invited to preach here. I wanted nothing to do with it. I tried to run from it. I was in South America doing something else. And I came and taught a Bible study to a very few people on a couple Wednesday nights back in 2000. 
was it four, Christian? Four, five, four. It was four because I was out of the country. So what the Lord did is those people's faces, every time I was asked to be the pastor of the church, I said, no, those people's faces I kept seeing in my head. And I said, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. I remember how they responded to the exposition of Scripture. So it was the Lord who stirred up my heart in South America to reply with a yes. And then they went through a number of possible men to take the position. And finally, I think to their surprise at the time, selected me. And here we are, 10 years later. I'm not called to the bush. Some people are. And if you are, you need to go. Amen? So he, he's called to devise things. Notice the results. Verse 4. To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. You know, those stones that needed to be set in the ephod needed to be cut very precisely. You don't want some rookie out there just chopping stuff up and pressing them into the vest. (laughs) Right? The guy who cut the hole in the platform back here to check to see if there's any damage underneath, if I'd have done that, we probably would have cut 18 wires beneath the surface. You got to have the right guy with the right tools. Amen? And then you can just put a lid in there and say it's dry and you don't have to fix a bunch of other stuff. You know, God calls people to be artists. Whether you're one of those Christians, oh, we shouldn't have art. Art is beautiful. Get over it. God calls people to be artists because he is the ultimate artist. God's an artist. God has blessed and gifted very skilled artists when it comes to, as I said, sculpting, painting, music, you know, writing chords, writing songs, and a a plethora of other areas. And if the Lord regenerates one of them, they ought not to necessarily automatically think that now they have to go into the pastorate. I have a friend who's a professional musician. When he was saved for two years, his soul was tortured because people were guilting him into saying, man, you need to go get training for the pastorate. Until he just was instructed by someone like myself and a couple others, look, if God's not calling you to that, bro, you don't belong there. Just do what you do and do it for the glory of God. Witness? If God grants wisdom and ability for craftsmanship, okay, saved or not saved, friends, everyone who has gifts out there in the world, you know where those gifts come from? God. Period. It all comes from him. Whether they acknowledge God with it or not, praise God with it or not, that's another matter. Gifts come from the same source. Look at James 1, verse 17. Every, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So whatever wisdom or whatever position any pagan may have, it ultimately comes from God. Don't forget that. You know, in Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 6, 
the, the prophet prophesies about a guy named Cyrus, okay, who would be a Persian king, and he will allow God's people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild a broken down temple. That, that temple will be sacked. And God calls and equips and anoints a pagan king to allow them passageway back. Notice Isaiah 45, 5. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, from the west, that there is none besides me, and I am the Lord, there is no other. Okay, there's God. He set Cyrus, king of Persia, into that position to accomplish whose purpose? God's purpose. You see how sovereign he is? All gifts, all positions that people hold or that people have, whether they know it or not, come from the Lord. You know, there's another pagan who was a soothsayer. He was a hireling hired by Balak to curse Israel. His name was Balaam. And we read in Numbers 24, Balaam lifted up his eyes. He saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And guess what happened? The cursings that were supposed to come out of his mouth, guess what happened? The scripture says, and the spirit of God came upon him. And he uttered God's prophetic truth, ultimately utterances that lead to fulfillment that would be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. God's sovereign. He's in control. In John 3, 27, John the Baptist said this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now, the context there, of course, was the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ when people were moving from John and moving towards the Lord Jesus, which was John's purpose. Okay, but that statement, nevertheless, stretches to what, exactly what we're saying here. No one receives anything except from God himself. You know, we could ask this question. Who caused the Industrial Revolution? Okay, it was a major turning point in America for the good and even the bad. Now, historians will say that it's technological innovation, right? That's just a means to God's end. See, it's the creator. It was God who distributed certain skills and abilities to accomplish a work that ought to have brought him glory. And I'm talking about ascribed glory. Remember the difference between intrinsic glory and ascribed glory? Intrinsic glory is the glory God has in and of himself. Nothing you do, nothing you don't do can add or take away from the intrinsic glory of God. The glory we're talking about here is the ascribed glory, do his name. The Industrial Revolution, everything that happened, everything that occurred and, and still is moving forward, ought to give glory and praise to the Creator. But men, without the regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit, are glory stealers. Glory stealers. Glory stealers are unbelievers, and unbelieving glory stealers will one day give an account the debt of which is eternal damnation, hell, which is everlasting.
Now God, on the other hand, specifically and specially gifts his people, his redeemed people, his church, to do his will, to accomplish his purposes for what? For his glory. For his glory. And he spreads the wealth, giftedness, individually. Spreads it out like peanut butter. Just like that. Amen? Notice, God's not done here back in the account. You have a a, a holy, let's look at verse 6. And behold, I have appointed with him, that is with Bezalel, Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given, notice, to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, Moses. Okay, Moses, I've given you the blueprint, but I'm going to specially equip Bezalel. I'm going to give him an assistant, a Holiab, and an entire team of gifted people to do what I've commanded you to do. So here you have a Holiab. His name means the tent of the father, or even uh, father is my tent. Again, we see this idea of, of protection that we also see in Bezalel's name. So it's very appropriate then, I suppose, for the people who are constructing God's tent of meeting to bear a name that means God's protection. It's beautiful. Okay, so even so, here we have Bezalel and Aholiab. There's no way that they could craft all of these things alone. This isn't a job for two men. Notice the Lord has given them a team. Verse 6, I have given to all able men. Ability that they may make all that I've commanded you. Now turn over to chapter 36. Verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. You see that? Whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They, notice this now. Notice. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. All this stuff they were bringing them, where did it come from? Egypt. They came out very wealthy, remember? Loaded down. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses had to command them, right? A word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and no more. You see there? All of Israel is involved in the ministry. All of Israel is involved in in building and providing for the tabernacle. Okay, so, when we consider the theology of this, 
Okay? So here we go, application. When we consider the theology, the theology of this, it teaches us something about the church, doesn't it? When the Lord was here, our Lord Jesus Christ, he said to his apostles, who will build his church? He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against her. Amen? I will build my church. And yet, he taught and he equipped his apostles to serve as a means to his end. Amen? I'll build my church. He calls, he gifts, he equips into service the very church he builds to serve itself. To serve itself. Gifted, uniquely gifted, uniquely called as worshipers of the king. That's what we are. That's what this is. Gifted, called. Now, again, any thought that the only way to serve God is to be a pastor or an elder or you know, some professional vocation in the ministry is not biblical. Any thought that says, you know, I, I don't really come from a godly line. Contrary to the word of God. Okay? You know, Oholiab here, we're told, is from the tribe of Dan. Smaller than the tribe of Judah by 12,000. The tribe that Bezalel was from. At least according according to Numbers 1, that's where you get that number. So, in other words, you don't have to come from some impressive pedigree or some long line of notable saints to serve the God that has saved you. Amen? What you do need, if you don't have it, is a yielded heart to the Spirit of God. A yielded heart a yielded life to the Spirit of God to serve the living God, regardless of background, regardless of social rank, regardless of any lacking assets or academic degrees. God can use you. You see this? God can use you. You know, there's those in the churches today unfortunately, who, who they think one of the gifts of the Spirit is to have a critical spirit. I'm gifted to critique the church and everybody in it. So I'll come and I'll listen, and I'll go home, and I'll complain on the way home, and I'll gripe about this person or that person, and then they play Monday morning quarterback or Monday morning pulpiteer. This is how I would do it. This is how it should be done. They have a critical spirit. That's not a gift of the Spirit. Amen? You don't come in and sit merely as a spectator and go home and whine and complain about the church. If you have a problem that you're not getting something from the church, ask God to check your own heart if that's you. I don't even know if that exists here, to be quite honest with you. If that is you, however, and you find yourself complaining on the way home, today or any Sunday for that matter, ask God to check your heart. Ask God to energize your spirit. Ask God to energize your mind to know and to do that which is His will for you. And stop whining if you whine. Amen? Or we'll get you cheese to go with the wine. 
Now, I know there are others within the body of Christ who do not have a critical spirit, and they honestly say, I just don't know where I fit in. Here's what I say to you, with all encouragement and a great deal of love. Take it to the Lord. Take it to Him. In prayer, Lord, I don't know where I fit. I don't even know how I'm gifted, Lord. Typically, where you're gifted is what God has given you naturally. To hone it, to use it for the glory of God within the body somehow, some way. One of the guys that came to the rescue this week is a construction guy. He uses it for the glory of God. You don't want me hacking up the floor, do you? <laughs> okay. As we, as, as we get ready to close up, I want you to turn to Romans 12. Romans 12. We'll beginning, uh, begin by looking at verse 3. Notice, for by the grace given to me, this is Paul writing to the church of Rome made up of Jews and Greeks. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, do not grow prideful in the gifts you've been given. Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we, may, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of what? One another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Question, why has God given you gifts? Answer, it's not for you. It's for the people sitting around you. Your gifts are the people sitting around you. That's who they're for. So you have to exercise them. They're for the body of Christ. And again, the New Testament image for the church is that of the temple. A tabernacle, a body. And a body needs all its parts to function properly. So God gave gifts to Bezalel. He gave gifts to Aholiab and a team to build this earthly tabernacle. Verse 6, he enabled them to do what he commanded them to do. God will not command you to do what he does not enable you to do. He won't. We're called to walk obediently because we, we can to serve one another because we can. And if you notice, in the text here in Exodus, there are 14 worship realities that needed to be met if they were going to worship God in an acceptable way. For God to receive their worship, they had to carry out that which he is ordering Moses to carry out. In other words, we don't worship as we please. God prescribes worship, and we carry it out as he has prescribed. So notice, not just anyone could um, build a tent. Anyone, any tent builders out there? Not just anyone could, could build an ark or a mercy seat, furnishings for the tabernacle, utensils, table, lampstand, altars, a wash basin, and garments for the priests. 
These were critical designs for acceptable worship. God doesn't need novel ideas, beloved. Amen? That's why when we gather here to worship, we're not trying to invent anything. What do we do? We proclaim his word. We preach his word. We pray his word. We sing his word. And then hopefully when we leave, we obey his word. And when we're here. It's really not that complicated. Amen? So here the Lord singles out these two. He sanctified their abilities. He increased their productivity. So Bezalel and Aholiab had two options as as regards their skills, understanding, and knowledge. You know what they were? Just two. One was to use those gifts for the glory of God and service unto the people of God. The second option being to use those skills for themselves and conformity to the world. They could have gone back to Egypt. They could have snuck off, said, hey, you know what? I don't really like the manna. I really don't like being out here. And I got some skill. So let me go back to Egypt. You know, perhaps really we we can smooth things out with Pharaoh because after all, that place is a mess. And certainly they could use some skilled artisans like us. We can hone the image of Pharaoh. Only two options. Look back at Romans 12. Look at what precedes verses 3 through 8. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, based on all the goodness of God, the first 11 chapters of Romans, and God's salvific loving grace, I appeal to you, therefore, based on all that, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? Worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Bezalel and Aholiab obviously submitted to option number one. Now to close, think about this. What we see here in the tabernacle and the instructions given to Moses and delegation to Bezalel and Aholiab and a team, this is the way God has always worked throughout redemptive history. Follow me. The tabernacle. God provides the blueprint, passes it to Moses. Moses passes it on to Israel, and God raises up gifted servants to carry out the task. When we get to the temple, right, which will replace the tabernacle after about 400 years, God reveals the blueprint to David. David passes it on to Solomon. Solomon carries it out, and God raises up, according to 2 Chronicles, Huram Abi who was gifted with the same gifts as Bezalel and Aholiab. 2 Chronicles 2.14. Now that temple would be destroyed. And we already read about God raising up one named Cyrus. During that time, God will call the prophets to himself. He'll call Ezekiel. He'll call Haggai. And they will stir up God's people to do the work of restoration. God will raise up Nehemiah and a team to rebuild the wall surrounding Jerusalem. And that pattern is echoed throughout all of Scripture based on a heavenly blueprint. Okay, and what's that? God the Father's redemptive blueprint. He gives it 
to his son. The son accomplishes it. But when Jesus came to earth, he had a helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. And that same helper, when he ascended in glory, he descended by way of the Holy Spirit to indwell and gift every single church member to build his church, to further his kingdom. And he incorporates men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation until one day, beloved, one day, until all of creation will sing his praises where his people will worship him in a new heaven and a new earth. Everything that the tabernacle foreshadows fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So question, do you see your place in this work? Yes, God has pastors and teachers and preachers and elders and deacons to lead and equip. But he has gifted each and every individual that he calls to himself to build his church, to further his kingdom. Okay, so here's the application. Look, if you have gifts of leadership, you can encourage others to step up and step out because you have leadership skills. If you don't have leadership skills, don't try to be a leader because you'll look behind you and no one will be following you because you're just not gifted. Amen? If you have gifts of service, you'll recognize needs, practical things that need to be done. Encourage others to come alongside of you and help to work behind the scenes. There's nothing wrong with working behind the scenes. I don't want to bore you to death with one of my heroes of the faith, my father. My father is not gifted to teach Bible studies. My father is not gifted to teach theology or doctrine. But my father, as long as I, ever since he became a Christian, has served at the church faithfully, cutting grass, pulling weeds, edging, and weed whacking. So that the place could look nice when God's people come in on the Lord's Day. I go home and visit in the summer. I come down for coffee. I sleep until 8.30 at mom and dad's house. Where's dad? He's at the church. He'll be home. Tuesday night, they go do the count of the offering. They serve behind the scenes for the glory of God. You'll never see them out front. You can encourage others to come alongside of you. You may have the gift of encouragement. You are able to speak a word of encouragement into people's lives like no one else. You can write cards. You know, certain people write certain cards to me, and I weep when I read them. They're gifted in a way. It's remarkable. I weep like a baby. So encouraged by these words of encouragement that come from a person gifted to write words of encouragement. It could be on a piece of scratch paper. Amen? Use it. Someone who's depressed, you have the words of encouragement. Encourage them. They might come up and out of their depression. Distressed, hurting, use your gifts. Gifted with acts of mercy, be merciful. You have the gift of generosity. We're all called to give, amen? If you have the gift of generosity, you know someone in the church, they might be struggling, cut them a check for 500 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever you can afford. They don't have to know it's you. Cut them a check. Help them out. But still give to the church. 
Seriously. So here, Scripture tells us, God is the giver of all gifts. Whatever He demands His people, He provides His people the ability to carry out that which He demands. Amen? Now that's very encouraging, beloved, because as you look at the church, as we look at ourselves, oftentimes we'll say, man, will the church really prevail against the gates of hell? I don't know. And then we look, and we look around and go, you know what? I think God works more in spite of us than he does through us. (laughs) Praise the Lord that he does. Amen? So even though that may be true, just as God built his tabernacle here, he builds his church to this very day, and he's continuing to build it. He chooses the people to build it, he calls these people to himself, and he equips those people to do it. He called people here in the Old Testament, he, he draws near to them to do this work of building the tabernacle, and he does the same thing with his new covenant people. And he will continue to do so. He calls you, he chooses you, he equips you, and it's all for his glory. And yet, it's also for our good. So may the Lord stir up in us a desire to do his will for his glory as we serve one another. Amen? Amen.